welcome to the Women with Fire podcast. I am Michelle Gifford. I am Sarah Allred. God is calling women around the world to stand up and make a difference. We call this your quest. God needs you. Learn from other women who are navigating their own quests. And through this podcast, light that fire as you embark upon your own. Let's do this. guys and happy summer. It's Michelle from the Women with Fire podcast and today is another one of our classic reruns um, of our podcast. This is actually episode two. It is I think Sarah's first episode and it is with Kate Jones from Our Best Bites. Now Kate is fantastic. Sarah is fantastic. You are going to love this episode so I hope you enjoy and if you do we would love it if you would share it with your friends um, leave us a rating review, and I hope you are having a really great summer. Enjoy. It's amazing to be sitting here across the computer screen, in a way, from Kate Randall Jones. Now, let me tell you a little bit about her. You obviously know her as one of the girls behind Our Best Bites. She is a fabulous food blogger, along with her partner, Sarah, and I'm here to introduce you to Kate, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. So Kate Randall-Jones was born and raised in Logan, Utah, which I was too, so we are instant friends. Logan rocks. She graduated from Brigham Young University with her bachelor's in English, and after a series of odd jobs that had very little to do with her area of study, she found that she had stumbled into the world of food blogging. She currently lives in Louisiana with her husband of 15 years. There are three children and too many pets. If she's not cooking or writing about it, she can be found volunteering at her kids' schools and activities, snapping pictures, traveling, or at least dreaming about it, reading, or obsessively discussing last night's TV. We're so glad that you're here, Kate. It's no surprise that I am absolutely thrilled to be chatting with you, Kate, because I've been a fan for who knows how long, and your cookbooks are in my pantry as we speak, and they've got all sorts of splatter and yummy goodness all over them because they are so well used. So you personally live in my home regularly, um, but let's talk about, let's start from the very beginning. I think that's a great way to kind of get to know your story, and you've got some really great experiences to share with us. Do you feel like that there were elements particularly in your childhood that instilled in you a desire to to cook or to to reach out like how did this all start I don't know it's it's so funny and it's just it's sometimes I look back at everything and it kind of feels like it was all kind of leading up to this point I always loved to cook my dad was a he is a great cook my grandma his mother was a great cook my mom, not so much, but we I do have a lot of really great food memories with her. For me, like I loved food, and food was always really important to me, and I loved the idea of being, being taken care of with food and taking care of other people with food. After my mom died and my dad remarried, there were eight of us, eight of these kids, and some of them were teenagers. Some of my brothers and sisters were adults. And for them, it was very important that we had some kind of like new family tradition that would bring us together as this new family. And for us, it was dinner and it was six o'clock every night, no exceptions. 
there were a few times when I wished there were exceptions because I didn't love what we were eating. And it took basically like being on your deathbed to escape from family dinner at six o'clock. I look back and I'm so grateful for that and for those memories. And it kind of helped heal us as a family and make us our own kind of new family unit. And it was, it was such a neat experience. There were a lot of things that weren't picture perfect with our situation and things like that, but it really was like, we helped with dinner. We set the table, everyone helped clean up. And it was such a almost cathartic experience for us to have this, this bonding experience. I knew what foods I loved and I knew what foods I didn't like. I really loved kind of experimenting with the things that I did like and going to college and learning to cook with my roommates and throwing parties. And we threw this really terrible, like how to host a murder. We got really ambitious with the things that we were cooking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were hosting this guy's apartment and we all thought they were super cute. And it was just this really kind of disaster, but it was really fun at the same time. So if we were to talk to some of those roommates when you were in college and everything, would they be at all surprised at the path your life has taken? Oh, I don't know. A lot of us really did love to cook and we loved to experiment in the kitchen together. And it's hard when you're single to cook for one person. My husband was surprised when we got married and it turned out that I like to cook because you're just cooking for one person. Sometimes it's easier to go get a 99 cent cheeseburger from Wendy's instead of, you know, making a single chicken breast for yourself. So we can put that on the record that Kate yes. from Best Bites has done the dollar menu. Oh, I do the dollar menu on the regular. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much more at peace with myself now. That's great. <laughs> so it yeah. started it started early in childhood simply by this this method of kind of gathering and just creating mm -hmm. memories and you said that that happened after your mother had passed away, that this was a right. way that you guys decided to bond together. Yep. And I will say that like, not all of the meals were great, but the memories were. There's, there's something about gathering together and eating that makes, I don't know, it just, it creates these special memories. My goal was to make the food as good as the memories. That's fabulous. And what a, what, what kind of a mission you've created for for you and Sarah, your co-author of mm -hmm. Our Best Bites, for you guys to really do all you can to inspire families to get together and let great food be part right. of getting together. So tell me, since we, we brought up Sarah, she's your co-author at Our Best Bites, and you guys are an amazing team and such a great balanced team, and it's so fun to see you two in your great success with Our Best Bites. Now, there's kind of a unique story about how Best Bites came to be, and I am dying to share it with our readers. So dive in with me and tell me yes. how this happened. It's so funny. So first, you know, I'll go back to how I met Sarah because it's really just kind of this funny story. We At the summer after my husband and I got married, we moved up to Seattle just for the summer. He had a painting business with his brother, and he had to kind of wrap up some loose ends there. So we were there, and the whole time we were there, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you would love Sarah Smith. She's so cute. She's so bubbly. You guys would be friends. But I couldn't meet her because she was on her mission in Brazil. So I heard all about her. I met her mom and her dad. And her brother, but I never actually knew her. Fast forward a couple of years, my husband and I had been married for a few years. We were both still at BYU, 
and my brother-in-law, my husband's younger brother, was dating this Sarah Smith girl, and I still hadn't met her because she was doing an internship in San Diego. So they're doing this long-distance relationship thing. He's always talking about her, like, all this stuff. So I have heard about her at this point for years and years and years, but we've never met. After my first baby was born, I had joined this online, like, new mommy, Mormon mom forum, and I had gotten to be friends with this girl on this message board, and we would share recipes and talk about our kids and stuff like that. And one day... Someone asked, hey, you know, we're, we're moving up to the Seattle area. Does anyone have any advice for me? And she was like, oh, my dad's the bishop in the church that meets behind the temple. Send me a message and I can give you more information. And I was like, I totally know who you are. I think not to be creepy or anything, but I know who you are. And she was a little creeped out because that's pretty creepy. <laughs> we realized we had all of these mutual friends and we were just, you know how you meet someone and you feel like you, you're just picking up where you left off, even though you don't actually, you've never met them before. Absolutely. That was kind of my experience with her. This, you know, this happened in like 2000, 2005, 2006. Then we moved to Louisiana in 2008, early 2008. It was a really weird time for me. I had never lived that far away from home. I'm sure you can relate. (laughs) It's a challenge. It's a challenge and it's very different culturally. And we didn't know a single soul in the world. And we had planned on buying a house. But right as we were getting financing for our house, the economy crashed. They weren't giving financing to anyone. Our dream of graduating from college and buying our, you know, first brand new little house those were kind of dashed and we're living in this teeny tiny little rental and so nothing nothing was working nothing was working the way that we had planned or hoped or whatever there were a few food blogs out there you know sarah and i were talking and i was like hey let's let's like let's start a food blog <laughs> famous no last idea. words exactly let's we had start no idea <laughs> what we were getting into and our pictures oh my gosh we had some terrible terrible pictures. There's one really awful picture that I know of left. It's the Chipotle chocolate chili. And um, one of these days, it's going to get a makeover. But for now, you can still see it. Fabulous. (laughs) I know what I'm going to Google as soon as we're done here. I know. And we were taking these terrible pictures and we were, you know, writing recipes and sharing, you know, these, these recipes that we had come to love, that we had learned to cook with and things like that. Our plan initially was to write a recipe every single day. That didn't last long. We moved to three times a week instead. Then after a few months, we started to realize that people besides our aunts and former roommates were reading our blog. And they weren't just in our hometowns. They were kind of all over the place. Started to realize that this could actually turn into something. And I don't think it was until we got our our first book deal that we realized that this was actually like a thing. Now that's a huge that's a huge step getting a book deal. Right. And and you do feel like that that was the moment in which you felt like this is going somewhere. Did you see kind of precursors to it or was that the big moment? It felt like for a long time there everything was just kind of falling into place in unexpected ways. We would get a huge boost in traffic that we weren't expecting or we would get nominated for some kind of award that we never even considered. And, it just kind of felt like we were growing at a very like rapid and exciting 
but also kind of a natural rate. It just felt natural. It just felt like that's how things were happening, how things were supposed to be happening. And then the book thing happened and we're like, okay, this is, this is like for real. I think at that point, you know, we kind of rebranded and we were like, you know, we're going to treat this like a job. And we started scheduling hours and making calendars and not flying by the seat of our pants or trying not to. We still do on occasion. Sure. So. <laughs> because you're a mom. Exactly. You're you got to be flexible. So how did, you know, this is more for my own curiosity. I always love to hear about those moments in which it's sort of a, just a boost in confidence. Like you said, your book deal where it's like, I have done something here. And right. this is kind of the, you know, the proof is in the pudding kind of a thing. How did you find out that there was a book deal. We had heard from Deseret Books and we had kind of, we approached them in return and there were just some casual conversations. And then all of a sudden it was like this, you know, we're, they were really interested. For Christmas, my husband bought me a plane ticket to Utah so that we could go talk to Deseret Book about all of this stuff. At that moment, we realized that this was, this was really a possibility and it was really happening. And was that your dream? Like, had you and Sarah talked about that and you said, our dream is to do a cookbook or did it sort of fall in your lap just based upon your efforts? It was never the goal from the beginning, but as we started, as we got deeper and deeper into the food blogging world, that did kind of become a goal of ours. Because that would be the natural next step, right. I suppose, for your audience, especially. Yeah. That is amazing. So in, it's always better in retrospect. Um, you know, Best Bites was, was born, so to speak, in what year? 2008. 2008. So we sit here, um, you know, eight years later, mm -hmm. and it's always easier in retrospect to sort of see what has happened here in the past eight years. Do you feel like, as a Mormon woman, that you have actually been guided by the Spirit in, in this endeavor? I definitely do. I think the way Sarah and I met, you know, we've talked about that before, how we felt like the universe just kept trying to push us together. And again and again and again and finally it happened in a very unexpected way i mean you don't expect to meet one of your best friends in the world on some random internet message board you know and, and not scare them off by exactly stalking them, right <laughs> he softened her heart yeah you know that and then i don't know there are just times when i feel even when i'm cooking you know like hey you know go check on the time like go double check on that measurement or you know what I mean are you sure those spices go well together or why don't you try this you know things like that so in the minutia in the little things like that I feel guided and in the big things you know there have been major steps and some kind of missteps along the way that I felt guided towards or warned against and I feel I do I feel like this is this is where Heavenly Father wants me to be that's like a total aha moment. So I hope our listeners, me included, are like rewinding this part. Do you rewind podcasts? I don't know oh, what yeah. you do. But <laughs> I hope we are listening back to that because I think sometimes we may think, we may feel that the in the really big details, the Lord will guide us. Who are we going to marry or should we move or education or should we have a baby? You know, those kinds mm -hmm. of really big things. And when I hear you talking about do these spices go well together and, and all those things that to me rings so true of like the nature of our heavenly father, that he, he really is in the details. If we will listen to help us be successful in the little 
and big, big, big things. Exactly. Love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you for that moment. That just is a really great thing for me to think more about. So you are great. Oh, you're, you're welcome. You're great. <laughs> so, well, hey, okay, put on the record. Kate from Best Bites just said I was great. I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> so let's just get real blunt for a minute. Being a Mormon mom that works in a way. You, you are working in the home, um, right. which can be different than working out, which can be the same as working out of the home. We're not even going to get into the details that way. But being blunt, being a Mormon mompreneur, do you feel that you have had a hard time relating with other women uh, particularly like in your ward or your branch that, that don't work because maybe they're intimidated. Maybe they're not intimidated by you, but maybe you can't relate. Like, has that been part of your experience? I know many of our listeners have felt that way. You know, I, maybe I'm lucky. I'm not sure if that's the right term or not, but most women in my ward do work in some way or another. Even, you know, our Relief Society president, she's young like me. She's got three young kids, and she has pretty much worked full-time for as long as I've known her. I can only think of a handful of people in my ward that haven't worked. But those that haven't worked, I, I have gotten to be good friends with them, too. And I think I'm kind of in a unique position because I, my job is very flexible. So I may have a lot of work to do, but I can do a lot of it at 11 o'clock at night. And so if someone wants to go to the park or if someone wants to go out of town for the day or whatever, I can usually find a way to drop it and go with them. It's kind of unique that way. It's not like, you know, my friends who have full-time jobs outside the home where they just don't have that kind of flexibility. And so I think that's in some ways that makes it easier to relate to me or, um, you know, kind of less intimidating or whatever. But the truth is, is that I haven't run into a ton of people who who don't work in some capacity. I haven't run into that attitude too much, thankfully. And we never, ever want to say that, you know, being a mom is not working because right. it's oh, yeah. the ultimate work, so to speak, right? It really is. And that's, I think, the hardest thing is finding that balance. You know, I talk to moms all the time who are working, whether they're working part-time or full-time or they're, they're doing something that they can do from home or just straight up full-time moms who, you know, I couldn't cut it. <laughs> this is, I found myself where I am because I, I really needed something to give me some kind of sense of who I was before I had babies. And I, I felt like that was essential for me. And not everybody feels that way. Moms are awesome at feeling guilty. And there's always something to feel guilty about. That's something we all have in common. Yes, absolutely. And so whether you're, you're staying at home with your kids or whether you are working five or 10 hours a week or whether you're working 50 or 60, I think there are times when we all think, oh my gosh, I'm messing this up. You know, I can't do this. What am I doing wrong? You know, my kids are not socialized or my kids are over socialized or whatever. We're always second guessing the decisions that we're making for our family. And you've been really careful with your platform on your blog, like I said, I have read this for years, my dear friend. And <laughs> there is one blog post that stands out to me. I can't remember whether it was you or it was Sarah that had written it, but it was kind of a reality check of what your kids' dinners look like. Mm -hmm. And they had taken those dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. Yes. Try was that you? It was actually both of us. It was A lot of it was our Time Out for Women presentation. Is that what it was? Yes. 
Okay, because that has stuck with me because I cook out of your cookbook probably three to four times per week. No joke. It's That's you've amazing. just you've done all the hard work for me. I just pull it out <laughs> and it's delicious. But I loved being able to see that the creators behind 99% of the food that my family eats, they sometimes have those days where the frozen chicken nuggets from Costco get pulled out and Absolutely. chopped up or shredded and you know, you throw a banana on the side and that's it. Yep. <laughs> I love how you are willing to kind of be honest that way. So how do you tackle it? Like, like you said, the mom that works five hours per week feels guilt, just like the mom that works 60 hours per week. Right. So give us your wisdom. How do we tackle it? Sometimes I feel great and like I'm super on top of it. Things couldn't be better. And there are other times when I feel so much guilt and so overwhelmed. And I think you just, I think it's like anything else in life, you know, it comes in waves and it comes in ups and downs. And you realize at those times when you're feeling guilty and when you're feeling overwhelmed, that that's not going to last forever. And if there's something that you don't like, if there's something that's making you uncomfortable, then is there anything that you can do to change it? And then go ahead and do that. I, I just remember after my third baby was born, we, Sarah and I were traveling a lot. And it was right when our second book came out. And I had gone to Utah for a book lunch with my two-month-old baby. They had lost my luggage. The airline had lost my luggage. Oh, no. It wasn't just like, oh, we can't find your bag. We'll bring it to your hotel tonight when it comes in. It was like they literally didn't know where my bags were. And you're more worried for your baby exactly. than you are for you. Giant suitcase full of baby clothes and diapers. And not everything fits for me. Eight weeks postpartum. Oh. Maybe they do for some people, but I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm in your camp. Yep. And so I had all of these carefully selected outfits and that was all out the window. So Sarah had driven me to the airport. I was trying to track down where my suitcase was. This is like day two of the missing suitcase. And she circled through the airport. Like I think she stopped counting at like 47 or something like that. So she was there forever. I'm there with my, my babies in the back seat. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I got in the car. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty. I just feel so awful. My poor baby has been in his car seat for so many hours and he's been so patient. And she was like, you know what? If your baby's not happy, he's going to cry. Like he's going to let you know. And I've kind of taken that to apply to all sorts of areas of, in my life. If everything If everything is okay, then why make yourself feel guilty for something that isn't actually a problem. If your baby's not crying, don't worry about it. You know, if everybody's happy eating chicken nuggets on their salad for dinner, don't stress that you didn't spend two hours making something awesome. So you use it really symbolically. Like, right. if something is wrong in my life, I'm going to be alerted to this and I trust that I will be. And so right. I'm just going to ride where I am with as much happiness and joy as I can. Yep, exactly. Wow. Fantastic. This is like all check full of Oprah moments. I love it. I absolutely love it. So what about those moms that have an idea? They're thinking of having that conversation like you and Sarah did of let's start a food blog. Right. They've got an idea and they just don't have the courage to start it because they are so scared of a failure, whether it's financial failure or just, you know, tr there's trolls out there. Let's be honest. There's right. lots of mean people out there that could tackle them. They just, they have this great idea and maybe they even feel prompted and guided like you have, but they just right. don't dare take the plunge. What do you say? 
I just, you know, I think it's so cheesy to say that like you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take, but it's really true. And I think, you know, say you want to start like an online clothing boutique or something like that, like go into it smart, you know, don't buy $20,000 worth of t-shirts, you know, jump into it. I start small, see what people like, you know, try building an audience and things like that. I think sometimes about like pick your plum and how they started out selling one deal a day. And when it sold out, it was gone. And then they would have another deal the next day. And now they're selling hundreds of things all the time. And so I think sometimes taking, taking baby steps, you know, taking kind of a smart and slow and methodical approach to things, um, getting a feel for things, building things in a really natural way, talk to people who are in the industry and see if this is something that you want to do. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it anymore. You know, if there's something that's not bringing you peace and joy and happiness, then it's really okay to quit, you know, and find something else that, that makes you happy and brings you that sense of fulfillment that you're looking for. And I love what that brings to my heart because what it tells me, what I'm learning from you and what I'm hearing is to, like you and Sarah did, that the goal is not the book deal, is not the cookbook deal with Desert Book. The goal is like, let's try and do a couple recipes per week. And and you experience these successes line upon line and you you were always redirecting, doing more blog posts, doing less. Mm-hmm. And, and as you just continually started to do things that felt right and felt natural, I loved that word that you used. That's when it brought you the joy and the peace. Yep. Absolutely. Instead of waiting for the big book deal or, Honestly, or whatever it may be. The big moments, the big book deals, the things like that, those, those are great and those are fun, but they haven't brought us the same sense of fulfillment as, as some of the other smaller things that we've done. What, what kind of examples of those smaller victories would you give us? Oh, I don't know. I think for me, like the photography, and you were kind of along with me for that part of the journey. The photography thing was huge. I was not, I'm not a naturally super visual person, you know, like I am just, I like how things look and things, I know what I like. I know what I don't like, but I just don't have that. I necessarily. And so I always felt like that was an area where I struggled and that was an area where I was weak and where I didn't, I felt really inadequate a lot of the time. And some of my early pictures, like the Chipotle chocolate chili are very evident of that. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is after your first cookbook, true? Right. Okay. I've got the timing right. I always felt like, you know what, this is going to be an area where I am always going to be weak. This is going to be something that I can never do. I'm never going to do it as well as Sarah. I'm never going to do it as well as all of these other food bloggers. It's just, I can't, I'm not smart enough to know how to use my camera on manual. Like I just, this, I'm just going to come to terms with the fact that I am not good at this. Anyway, fast forward a few years. This is after our second book actually. And my son was in a really serious accident. And I felt like, I just felt like I needed something. I felt so overwhelmed and so kind of grief stricken and everything. I needed something extraordinary to pull me out of it. I thought, you know what? I have this camera and I'm going to learn how to use it. 
And so I signed up for Brooke Snow's class, you know, mastering the manual camera or whatever it was. And you were the assistant. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to learn how to do it. And it wasn't hard, <laughs> you know, it's once not I the saw great it secret. <laughs> over and over again, I was like, I can do this. I, I can figure this out because I'm forced to use it so much for my job. I got a lot of practice, you know, taking thousands and thousands of pictures and I learned how things work and I learned what I like and I learned what I didn't like and I learned, you know, lighting and angles and all of this stuff. And I learned that I can do hard things. So then I took her other class. I took the lighting class. It was the same thing. I felt like this cloud had lifted, not just like out of like my grief, but also from learning that I could, I can do things that are really hard that I didn't think that I could do. And it was such an empowering feeling to realize that really, I mean, not anything is possible. I'm never going to be a dancer, but. <laughs> Dancing with the stars is next on your Dancing bucket list. With the stars. Oh, no one wants <laughs> to see that. <laughs> but that if there's something that I feel drawn to and something that I've always wanted to do, but I feel like I can't, but chances are I can. I just need to, I need to get over myself. I need to get over this idea that that I'm not good enough or that I can't do it or whatever. And for me, that was like one of the biggest victories of my life. It's another symbolic thing, kind of like the crying baby. You know, for me, like learning how to use my camera was, was such an empowering moment. It made me realize that, you know, you're not stuck with who you are if you don't, if there's something that you don't like about your situation that there is always a chance to make things better and to learn and to grow. And it's, I don't know, that, that was a huge victory for me. And it, it falls so in line with what the gospel teaches as far as, you know, not only repentance, but just the atonement of, of how weak things can become strong and that that help is, is there. And I love how, how it was something you kind of didn't even want to do, but you were just determined to learn to do something that you knew was hard. Right. Right. And I think for me, it wasn't even necessarily that I didn't want to. It was, I felt like I'm not the most competitive person in the world. So if I feel like I'm not good at something, then I'll just be like, all right, I'm not going to do it. Whatever. You know, you guys can do that. But it was a part of my job. I had to do it. And I didn't want to be bad at it anymore. Learning how to do it and how to be functional at it, it was, it was big. So we throw around the phrase Mormon mompreneurs and immediately we think, yes, Sarah and Kate are those who are Mormon mompreneurs in every sense of the word. So the big question that all of our listeners are asking, myself included, is how do you do it with kids? What does your life look like to actually get the work done? Well, there is a reason why we're not doing this with video on my end because you don't want to see what my house looks like right now. <laughs> So you've sacrificed the house a little bit. Is that one of your things? A little bit right now. It's just, you know, we have dogs and we have kids and we have cats and we're happy. And if the laundry doesn't get put away, then it doesn't get put away. You know, there have to be sacrifices or you can't stay sane. It's impossible to have it all, all of the time. I think sometimes, you know, we're really like one of the first generations of people who don't have a lot of help. Families are very much more spread out than they used to be. And so there aren't necessarily the grandmas and the aunts and, 
and stuff like that. I think neighborhoods are a little bit more, I don't know, people are in their own little worlds and stuff like that more than they used to be. And a little bit, a little bit less willing to, oh, just go out as soon as you get home from school. We'll see you at dinner time. There's exactly, it doesn't quite work that way anymore. It's this expectation that you need to be there for your kids 110% of the time. And that can be very overwhelming. I think back to like even the middle of the 20th century and a lot of people had a lot of in-home help, people helping taking care of the kids and people helping clean and, and things like that. And there's this myth right now that you can be everything. You can be this amazingly gorgeous, CrossFit, hot mom and wife and that you're going to be on the PTA and that you're going to work 40 hours a week and that you're going to have this gorgeous, incredible home and that it's all going to be 100% all of the time. And it's just a, it's a lie. For me, I just have to make my priorities. And sometimes it is my house. Sometimes I'm like, guys, watch a movie. I'm going to clean the house for two hours because really having them help me does not make things easier. <laughs> so Right. And you're totally at peace with that. I'm totally at peace with that. And there are times when we're going to hang out and we're going to have fun and we're not going to worry about the house. And there are times when I tell them, all right, I need to get some work done. Keep yourselves busy for an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. Then we will go do something fun. We'll go to the park. A lot of times people ask us how many hours a day we work. And I literally couldn't tell you how many hours a day we work because it kind of happens in like 20 minute hour long increments. And it just somehow stuff gets done. And that's one of the blessings of being a stay-at-home mom is that I have that kind of flexibility. I can wake up early and work for an hour before my kids get up. And then I can, you know, do something for an hour and a half or two hours after they go to school. And I, I have a lot of flexibility. Not everybody has that. There have been times, especially like in that terrible stage when your baby doesn't take naps anymore, but they're too little to go to school, where I've had a babysitter come once or twice a week because there's nothing worse in the world than like feeling guilty that you're not taking care of your kids. I have someone who can just play with them for a little while. I may be there working, but they're there to help keep them entertained and keep them busy. And if that gives me peace of mind, then that's great. And I don't feel like it's necessarily me shuttling off my kids to other people. It's just another friend in our lives, someone else who loves them. One of the things that really stood out about you is, as we've been emailing back and forth preparing for this interview is you firmly, firmly believe, like it's almost your, your central message is you need to discover and figure out what is best for you and that it's not, it's not cookie cutter. It, it's not, it, you know, we, we all can't have the perfect house and all this stuff. This isn't the norm right here, but that really these Mormon mompreneurs as they're navigating this balancing act, because that's the hardest part about it, is that they need to really dig deep and, and do everything that they can to figure out, how can I make this work? I feel guided to do this. You know, just like right. Nephi, Nephi said that the Lord's going to tell us how to do things if he guides us to do those things. So they need to figure out what works for them. And that might be a babysitter twice a week. That might be being more tolerant of the house in a certain state. That mm -hmm. might be chicken nuggets on a salad. You know, there's so many right. great examples of what it can look like. Exactly. And I just think that whatever you decide to do, whatever you feel drawn to, there's a way to make it work, but it does require some flexibility. And I think it means like throwing out all of these paradigms of what life should look like. The older I get, the more I realize that like, life is really tough 
there is not a family that I know where everything is perfect all the time. And I just think that sometimes, especially as members of the church, we have this vision of how things are supposed to be. And when things don't look like that, we get really down on ourselves. I think we need to understand that like a lot of stuff happens behind closed doors that nobody ever sees and that nobody's life is perfect. You know, not just in our personal lives, not just like my kid is struggling in this area or my husband and I are having problems. My husband and I are having problems. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just, just throwing out examples. Areas where you feel alone. And I think that's one of Satan's greatest tools is to make you feel like you're alone and you're the only person in the world that this is happening to and everybody else has their life together and yours is the one that's falling apart. You're inadequate. You're not good enough. You're doing something that you shouldn't be. You're not doing something that you should be. Coming to peace with like listening to the Spirit and understanding that even if things aren't perfect, the Lord makes that all okay. So if you're at peace with the Lord with whatever you decide to do, then nothing else matters. Nobody else's opinion matters. Go with it. Run with that feeling. And if something doesn't feel right, if something starts feeling off or wrong, then find a way to change it. And loneliness can be a really dangerous feeling in a woman's life. It really is. Some really tough things can happen there. And that that's where we just hope that you know, in those times that we do feel the most lonely and like we're the only one on our street or the only one in our ward that could possibly be experiencing this, that's when you hope that there are resources, that there's a visiting teacher there, there's a best friend, that we can be a little bit more chicken nuggets on the salad type of people and just say, right. this is my life right now and it's not going well and I need help or I just got to talk about mm -hmm. it or something like that. I hope we can nurture that culture of, of discussing the challenges that come because challenges come even when you're faithful and great and doing your best. Absolutely. I, yeah, completely 100% agree. And I think sometimes people are like, well, you know, this is happening to me, but it's, or, you know, maybe like I'm having postpartum depression or maybe my husband works all the time and I'm lonely and, you know, my neighbor down the street, their son just died of cancer. So who am I to feel bad? But pain is pain and sorrow is sorrow and everyone is entitled to their feelings. I feel like we really need to work together at building communities of kindness and of love and of understanding and of non-judgment because I feel like we are more isolated. And I think that's a blessing and also kind of a curse of the blogging world. I feel like I've made so many great friends and so many great connections. And I feel like wherever I go, I have friends, which I can't say has always been the case. But I also think that the blogging world can be isolating, I think. You know, you see your friend posting pictures of the lemonade stand that she set up outside her kid's bus stop, and you think that that's what life is like for her 100% of the time. And so I think we need those real moments. I think we need those less curated perfection and a little bit more of the realness. And, you know, I tell my kids this all the time, especially when they're in new or scary situations. And I'm like, you know, everybody wants more friends. And if someone thinks they don't need more friends, then you don't need them, <laughs> you know? Right. 99% of the time, people are looking for people who are like them and people who will be kind to them and who will be understanding and friendly and part of their community. And if we can do that as sisters and as members of the church and as members of social media, if we can be more inclusive and more loving and 
and supportive of each other, I think it really helps people nurture and give confidence to the things that they do want to do. They feel like they can do it. Can you imagine if women of the church, regardless if they're mompreneurs or not, but if women of the church loved and supported and talked to one another, like they would be absolutely unstoppable. I know. I know. It's so true. I would be amazed. Yes. I would love to see it. And and it really does start with somebody being gutsy enough to just come and do it. And I love how you have used your own business platform to try and, and put that message in. I mean, you're not saying on your food blog, women of the church, let's try and talk more honestly, but you are really right. trying to be more authentic and real through your business platform. And I think that that can happen in any business endeavor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What a great lesson. So we look at your, your experience as a whole, and you certainly are young, so you've got so many years left to come um, as a mom and as a woman of faith and in business, but what have been just some of the cream of the crop experiences, your greatest joys, whether they be in business or in your faith or in motherhood, because they seem to all mesh together as far as they your are. life goes all mesh together, which is great. That actually is one of the greatest joys is that it's all, all of the things that are the most important to me are all kind of intertwined. And I don't feel like there's church Kate and that there's home Kate and that there's work Kate and things like that. I feel like we're all kind of the same person aside from my family and this really unique opportunity that I've had to help provide for my family and still be around a lot to take care of my kids. I've just met some of the most incredible people in my life and I feel like that the blog has really opened up so many doors I mean like I was saying that I feel like I have friends everywhere I go I feel like I can move anywhere and I I mean this I don't mean this in an egotistical way but I could say like hey I'm Kate from Arbus Bites and that's a huge icebreaker it makes it easier to meet people I feel like the friends that I've made along the way have been life-changing and it's led to life-changing experiences and that all of it is you know kind of building Every, every opportunity builds on the previous opportunity to you know, kind of take me somewhere new and some, somewhere interesting and to, to meet people and find myself in situations that I never, that I would never find myself in otherwise. Well, and in your, in your defense, I must say when I first quote unquote met you online, when you were taking that photography class years ago, you did not introduce yourself as Kate from Best Bites. You just said that you were a food blogger, and I I called you out. I was like, she's way more than a food blogger, people. Like, <laughs> let me tell you who she is. So in your defense, you were very, very cautious about making sure uh, people didn't I know do. right off the I bat. I don't like people to know right off the bat because it's weird, you know. I don't want people to think that I'm leading with that, and I'm like, oh, you know, come be best friends with me because I'm paid from our best sites because that's not how it is at all. I mean, the blog is a huge part of my life, but I am who I am first, and I want to get to know people, you know, and I want people to get to know me because of who I am and the connection that we can have, and if they discover that down the road, then it's kind of a funny reaction, and it's great. So I, I don't know, maybe I feel like it's given me the confidence that I haven't always had. You know, I was kind of an awkward kid and I was sometimes really shy and it was hard for me to get to know people. And I feel like now I've seen another side of people. I've seen that a lot of people feel that way and a lot of people feel vulnerable and a lot of people feel awkward. 
most people probably feel that way most of the time. And so it's made me more outgoing. And I feel like I understand people in a different way than I did before. And that's huge. I feel like that has fundamentally changed who I am as a person. And I love that. I love that too. The great lie is that the awkward feelings you feel in middle school go away when you're an adult. Right. they don't. They, they just, don't. They just Me don't. girls are everywhere. And I wish they weren't. Back to being nice. Let's all just be nice. Can you be nice? Like, it's, it's this just... fundamental part of, of the gospel mm-hmm. that let's, let's talk about that more of just the importance of being kind people wherever we are. Right. Exactly. I absolutely love this. And just in closing... What I love and what I've gained from you is just that the Lord can do more out of your life than you can ever think possible if you are tuned in and willing to do what seems like the craziest thing possible, like like going on tour when you've had your third baby, right? Right, right. Exactly. You found that to be your experience that the Lord has done remarkable things with your talents. I remember there was a time we were writing the blog, but... I just felt like a lot of things hadn't gone exactly the way I wanted them to go. And I just remember, I was in church. I can remember, I can see it like it was a movie. And I was just like praying in my heart, like, Heavenly Father, please just let it be okay. And like, I heard it like in my head and I was like, it's not just going to be okay. It's going to be good. And I couldn't see at the time how it could possibly ever be good. I felt like the circumstances that we were in and whatever, I felt like it was just that that wasn't a possibility and that there was no realistic way that things could ever be good. And not only did things get good, but they got like better than I could have ever imagined them to be. There's, there's more than this cookie cutter way of life if we're just willing to open up our hearts to, to whatever that opportunity might be. And that the Lord can work through a, a food blogger. And that the Lord can work uh-huh. through a, a, a children's bo- boutique owner. And, you know, that the Lord can work through a photographer to, to really further his work and bring joy and peace and, and just do remarkable things with seemingly ordinary temporal ideas exactly. and business ideas. I think you think you're only changing the world if you are swaddling babies in Africa or doing after school programs or something amazing like that and not to take away from those amazing things but sometimes you know maybe your mission is to change one person's life it's going to change a whole bunch of other people's lives sometimes we fail to see the big picture and we think that what we're doing is not significant we underestimate the ability that we have to help other people and to connect with other people. Even if we're just serving our own family, maybe that's a desperate need that needs to be taken care of. Maybe your daughter will see you working hard and doing what it takes to keep your family afloat. And she can use that as like empowering inspiration for when she becomes a mom. You never know how these things are going to impact other people and impact the world. And you just are such an extraordinary example of that I just hope we can all take to heart the things that we've felt and heard as we've heard you talk about your own learning experiences and your honesty about things that were awesome and things that were less than desirable that have that have happened and yet yet the reach that you've been able to have whether it be helping your your own kids to explore their own talents and creating reasons to gather and yet also using kind of a worldwide business model to try and encourage others to gather together as families and 
and learn those things that they feel like they're not great at, you've provided you know, those great opportunities. So thank you so much for sharing your amazing wisdom. Thank you. You are, you're fantastic. And I've just adored you since I met you three years ago. And yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, if we we're all in good company as women who are just trying to live our faith and be great moms and have fun little business ideas to, to throw around a little bit. So thank you again so much for all of your great words. You're so welcome. Hey, thanks for listening to the Women With Fire podcast. Your support means a lot to us. In fact, your support is what makes this podcast possible. If you want to connect more with the guests we've had on our podcast and connect more with Sarah and Michelle, the creators of the Women With Fire podcast, Find us on Instagram at The Women With Fire or find us in our Facebook group. Simply search Women With Fire and join the group. We'll see you there.